Hey everybody, you are listening to the We Are Rising podcast, your source for all things rising. News, features, interviews, re- reviews of fights, etc, etc. I am your host, Andrew Benjamin, and I am joined once again by my faithful co-host, Jay Christian Gary from Focus Fights. Hey y'all, how's everything going? <laughs> and we have a packed show today. So many things to talk about going on in the world of combat sports, pro wrestling, mixed martial arts. But uh, first off, how are you doing, Christian, on this beautiful Sunday? Oh, yes. This Palm Sunday, for those of you who are actually religious. But still, I'm doing all right, son. A few issues with my throat, but I'm doing all right. I mean, I'm not hurting too bad. You know, it's funny that you bring up your, your, uh, like, did you have, like, a cold or flu or sore throat or something? Uh, actually, I had a flu. I mean, I had the flu bug last weekend because my little three-month-old nephew was sick, and then everybody started to get sick. See, that's why I am not a fan of kids, because kids are like petri dishes of diseases. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's funny you bring up that you got sick. I caught something over Mania Weekends. Uh, Mania Week. I got what, what they call the, they call it the Mania Plague. Kind of like Con Plague. After you go to like a comic convention or something. Like near a Comic Con. And you just get sick because you're just interacting with so many people. You just touch the wrong thing. So yeah, I got something pretty nasty as well. Like a, it, I, I don't know if it wasn't flu because I, I did get a flu shot, but it had to be like a sore throat or cold or something because I was all stuffy and my throat was killing me. And yeah, it was, yeah, I, somebody gave me something at Mania. Right, right. And to be honest, at least it's not like convention plague where you have to deal with a bunch of bad odor. Or maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> Uh, well, I'll say this. None of the wrestling shows I went to during Mania Week uh, did I smell any really bad people. Um, there was, as far as, there was, I I am somebody with a sensitive nose. I can smell death a mile away. And I really couldn't, I really couldn't pinpoint anybody who smelled bad. I go to New York Comic Con every year, and trust me, every year it gets worse because the Jacob Javits Center, which is a, a it's a convention center in New York City that mostly holds trade shows for like cars and all that stuff. But that's where they that's where they have the New York Comic Con, and every year there's more and more people, and it's it's a three four day convention, and people just do not wash their cosplays or their clothes or whatever. And it smells nasty as fuck. I cannot say though that it happened that any of the shows I went to during Mania Week, I anybody really smelled bad. So that I can at least say the most. Basically, I mean, even though I know people are basically trying to put out the message that cosplay is not consent, yeah. But if you still rocking the same cosplay outfit and haven't taken a bath in three days who wouldn't even want to consent to you pretty much it's gross yeah yeah the thing is that also 
some of these people have such like uh, complex cosplays that putting them on and taking them off is very very hard. So I know that there are people that will sleep in their costumes, and then when and when they get up, they're just gonna put on some like axe body spray or you know something else on. Yeah, it, it happens a lot. And here's the thing: New York Comic Con. I think they had last year twenty thousand people. Let me double check on that number. Um, was it? It was either fifteen or. Um, I have to. I'm trying to remember how many people it was, but it was a lot. It was at least in the. Uh, it was a five-digit number. Um. Now hold on. Now hold, uh, I'm actually. So, 2016, they had over 180,000 people there. So, if they had over 180,000 people in, in 2016, they must have had close to 2,000 people, 200,000 people this, uh, this past year, last year, 2018. So, just imagine if a bunch of people, imagine half those people wearing the same cosplays were just not showering. And just that, and just one, and just one venue. That is not good at all. Yeah, I mean, basically, that would be the automatic sign for me to stay my ass home because I would not, in any way, shape, or form, be wanting to fuck with them, especially if they haven't taken a shower in like three or four days. Actually, here's the number I got uh, from PublishersWeekly.com. 250,000 people last year for New York Comic Con. Wow. Wow. And I can tell you, the Jacob Jarrett Center is not made to hold that many people. That If there is ever a... Madison Square Garden is, nope. not that built. Exactly, yeah. Uh, actually, that's why they, they, they split up the convention. They split up, like, they'll have a, some events at, at the... Um, at the Hulu Theater, they'll have some other events at like the at the uh the is the Manhattan Ballroom or the Grand Ballroom, whatever the, whichever one it is. Um, Wait a minute, aren't those buildings two different places? Yes. In the same building. Uh yeah, they're the two different yeah the two different places on the same street. So, uh, New York at New York uh, Javits Center is all the way on Twelfth Avenue, which is right where where the water is, and you can see Jersey from across the street. Uh, for, uh, from across uh, 12th Avenue. Now, on the same street, though, uh, but closer to, like, Penn Station and Mass Square Garden is obviously the Ma the Hula Theater, which is inside Mass Square Garden, and then the, the Manhattan Ballroom, which is uh, right two blocks away from where MSG is. Uh, yeah, so they'll, they'll sometimes have, for the bigger stuff, for, like, Walking Dead, will always be at MSG just because... Everybody comes to Comic Con for MSG. Uh, they had um, oh, they have a bunch of the New York, the the, the uh, like Avatar, what what are, JoJo, what are, like JoJo or some, one of those shows, some of the animation, one of those animation, yeah, the big anime shows. Oh yeah, they had Broly. They had um, uh, Broly at um, I think it was the Manhattan Ballroom last year. So yeah. Oh God, you're not talking about Vic Mangina, aren't you? <laughs> well, who? Sorry? Uh, Victor Joseph McNagna, the voice of Broly. Oh, uh, I have no idea. 
Uh, I, I got invited to the Broly press um, junket last year. My friend wanted to go. We, we, we wound up not going uh, at the last minute, but like he, uh, like he was just telling me about all the actors and all that stuff, and I just was like, I don't know who the fuck these people are for this... Uh, for this bro, uh, what is it? It's supposed to be like Naruto or something? Naruto or DBZ? It's DBZ. Okay, if I don't. Talking about Broly is DBZ. Okay, okay. So I don't know. I don't know the fucking difference. So, like, oh yeah. So yeah, the voice actors were there, and like one of the creators of like the Broly thing was there. He was Japanese, so yeah. That's that's supposed. Yeah, they they that's they have they've had to split up. A lot of things that go on at the Java Center and just have them at other venues just because Java Center gets so crowded. Uh, and you can't book you can't book the Walking Dead anymore there anymore. It's gotta be at MSG just because Walking Dead's so big now. Because they basically sell out the place just for them. Yeah, and I cannot wait till when Walking Dead is over because then pe- less and less people will start going to uh, Comic Con. And that'll make me happy. Right, right, right. But speaking of, uh, well, going back to Mania Week, uh, did you happen to see any of the shows from uh, Mania Week? I seen the results for Bloodsport. I seen the results and part of the show for Stardom, who had their first U.S. exposure on the East Coast after, you know, when they came here to the States the first time, they had shows in California and they featured folks like cheerleader Melissa and Shayna Baszler, but now they made their first exposure on the East Coast, and it sucks that one of their competitors for the high-speed title got injured, you know, trying to wrestle a match in the States, but still, it was, I mean, it was fun to see them, but I did obviously manage to see the G1 Supercard, and even though I only saw like bits and pieces of the honor logo and everybody was pissed when Kenny King won the battle royal over the great Muta and Jushin Thunder Liger, whose team was dubbed over the live broadcast. I mean, still, that show sounds a couple of incidents, the beautiful people and Enzo Amore and Colin Cassidy. That show was pretty fun. Yes, it was. It, it was. It was pretty fun. Unfortunately, just like with um, Mania, with well, with every almost every show on Mania, I'll say, I thought it was way too long. I was in that arena and I was getting exhausted by like match, probably after like Naito and uh, Ibushi. I'm just I'm just over long wrestling shows. I really am. I can't do it anymore. I really can't. I don't know how it was. On, I don't know how it was on television. The way you watched it, but you just here's the thing. So basically, my friend and I sat in that arena in our seats for six hours because we got there as soon as the uh, as soon as the first match started, which was some was was a, a women's tag match that they filmed for television. Actually, it was a six-woman Women of Honor tag team match that they are probably not going to show on television. Oh, okay. I thought I was filming for te- for for uh, like their um their show, uh, the the TV sh- the Ring of Honor TV show. But barring that, um, 
Yeah, that we were in that arena for about six hours. Um, I know of a couple of people that basically stayed there that long, and one of them is our co-host Joseph Matos, JM Factor, who was basically there with oh, you guys. Ah, yes, I said, yeah, I said hello to him. I met people from the um, I think I apologize, I'm forgetting what they're. It's called it's like the Suplex something or other. Um, Rich Lata. I think Suplex, Suplex City Limits, if I'm not mistaken. Let me look it up, because I don't want to be, uh, a social suplex. Um, oh, okay. Rich Lata. Uh, I was also very drunk, because I had one, uh, so basically last, the, a few weeks before Mania, my friends and I did a pro wrestling trivia at a bar, and we came in first place. We murked all the other teams there. And won the prizes with a $50 bar tab. So, on the day of that, of the Ring of Honor show, I decided, you know what? My friends don't want to join me for this, uh, to use this bar tab. I'm going to use it myself. So, I went to the bar and basically just spent about $75 in drinks at the bar. Wow. So, I was very hammered uh, when I met Joseph. It was actually the second time I met him because I met him at the uh, New Japan uh, Matsuri show. In uh, Brooklyn. The Festival of Honor, right? Uh, no, no, not the Festival of That's something different. This was a New Japan only thing at a place called Japan Village, which is a Japanese supermarket in the Brooklyn area. And they they basically had like, it was like, they had like talk show things. They had like Yano doing a, a, a talk show thing. They had Liger opening up the ceremony. They had... Uh, Tanahashi doing a talk show thing. It was basically, it's kind of like if you ever watch those, those, those TV shows in Japan where they like come out and, and like, on the, where they have, it's like the morning TV shows in Japan type thing, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Um, but the thing is that the best show of the entire week had to be Blood Sports. Oh, most definitely. Because when it comes down to that particular show, they always love to call WrestleMania the showcase of the immortals. I would basically call, you know, Bloodsport the showcase not for the faint of heart. Exactly. Um, so I was there live. It was at the White Eagle Hall in Jersey City, New Jersey. Uh, it was absolute hell getting there. I hate going to Jersey anytime, but going to Jersey at, like during Mania Week seemed a lot more, a lot more. It was not good. It was. It, I don't know what the equivalent of of of, of it would be in Texas. Would it be like I don't know, going from Houston to Alamo or vice versa? I have no idea. Nah, for us, for us, it would be traveling up highway. 290 trying to go all the way out to College Station or something. Okay, College Station, <laughs> Texas. that damn thing is not going to get fixed anytime soon. Gotcha, okay. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, you know, that's what they did with all, a lot of these shows this year um, for Mania Week. They split the show. A lot of shows were split between Manhattan, Queens, Brooklyn, uh, and Jersey. Uh, and the... I basically just did all my shows. For, for, for the days I went to go see shows, I basically was like, okay, 
I'm going to stay in one area to see all the shows. And for the day that Bloodsport happened, that's what I did. So I, I basically, I, I was originally going to do four shows, but I instead went to the to do New Japan thing in Brooklyn. Then I headed to the Bloodsport show, which was at around like 2 o'clock-ish. And apart from the fact that it was the best wrestling show, in my personal opinion, it was also the best show because it was also the shortest. It was about two and a half hours long. And whenever... When all the other shows are going three, four hours, five hours, Joey Ryan's penis party went about four hours long. <laughs> and I went to that show live. And so, when Bloodsport can get it right, that that is telling you something that like, okay, Bloodsport is doing something right and all the, a lot of the other shows are doing something wrong. Uh-huh. Um... I'm trying to think what, oh yeah, the show was packed, it was sold out, there was barely any room to walk around, uh, that, it, White Eagle Hall is kind of like, I don't know if it's, it's, it's like a, it's like a tiny concert venue, that's how I kind of like got the feeling of what it was, kind of, it's kind of like, maybe like a CBGB's, or, um, trying to think of, or, uh, Knitting, the Knitting Factory, these are, these, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with either of those, Christian, but they're, CBGB's was a famous uh, venue in uh, New York City where uh, blonde. Yeah, I, I remember people talking about CBGB's before it got closed down. Gotcha. Knitting and the Knitting Factory in Brooklyn as well is kind of like the same thing as well. So yeah, this venue kind of so they had a balcony as well, and you know they have a uh, they have a bar on the first floor. Um, but really, like considering how also like every wrestler. And every show is basically the is basically the same. Lots of high spots, lots of no selling, lots of ironic wrestling, as the the coin the term has been coined. Uh, a lot of wrestling that's not taken seriously. Bloodsport was such a great breath of fresh air. To just because here's the other thing as well. So when I was there. There were people treating the show as if it was real. Like, they were people who were who were yelling, like, you know, Hey, go for his leg! Go for his leg! Go for a knockout! Go for a knockout! And you never really hear that anymore at any wrestling shows. Mm-hmm. And Mostly because of the fact that even though they know that it's predetermined, I mean, I'm still not trying to say it's fake or anything like that, they know that the wrestlers are not going to go for the knockout or sweep the leg like it's the Karate Kid or something. Exactly, yeah. Um, and it felt really cool just like... You can go into a Bloodsport show and believe it's real for that two hours that you're there. You can think that these guys are really hurting each other. That they're not playing patty cake like they do in WWE. That there, it looks, it looks and feels like an actual fight, and I know there's a lot of wrestling fans who don't like that style. There's a lot of wrestling fans who want there to be flips. They want there to be, they want it to be like more sports entertainment than sports, and that's uh, fine. Basically, want they basically want less fist and more flips. That's yeah, and I think there's a place for that. The problem is. When that's the only one, the only type of wrestling that's around, and 
I feel like, you know, it's almost like wrestling now has to go backwards now. We kind of have to go do a reverse in ter since everything has basically been done. That going backwards is also is going forward in some way. Does that make sense? Yeah, because a lot of people wouldn't survive the lessons that Carl Gotch or the late great Billy Robinson would give to folks like Aminor Suzuki or Shayna Baszler or Josh Barnett. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, but you know, it's kind of like I'm trying to think of like what like. It's, it's like with movies, so, for a while, with horror movies, there was a big trend that horror movies were using a lot of CGI and computer um, computer effects, but right now, there's, yeah, and, but right now, there's kind of a little bit of a backwards trend where a lot of, where a lot of horror movies are, are using traditional effects, they're using, you know, they're using real makeup, they're using, like, prosthetics, they're using makeup, they're using blood packets, because... The, the CGI just became so, it just became so ubiquitous, ubi, ubiquitous that it was, it, it no longer looked like special effects anymore. It became, it was, it was too gimmicky. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, because mostly it was done to death after Freddy vs. Jason in 2002. I was thinking. Just everybody started pouring in on it. I was exactly thinking the same thing. So, yeah. So it's 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 exactly it's exactly that. Yet I feel like wrestling, you know, something like Bloodsport is more forward thinking now because you know all these all these wrestlers are doing flips, they're doing dives, they're not selling anything. There's no psychology in matches, and with Bloodsport basically is is basically doing what what wrestling used to be in the 80s and 90s. And now well, actually, it used to be. I mean, pro wrestling used to be legitimate back in the twenties and thirties. Uh -huh. The shoot style of professional wrestling blossomed in the mid eighties when the original Tiger Mask was like from Shudo. Yeah, yeah, and all. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and so yeah, that's exact. You know, that that's why you know I think people like Zack Saber Jr. And when he was on the Indies, Matt Riddle, uh, Jonathan Gresham, these people are becoming uh, more popular wrestlers because, especially now, because if everybody's doing flips, you know, nobody stands out. You know, when you have when, exactly. when you have few people who who do submission, who's or who do Carl Gotch uh, catches catch can wrestling like a like a Timothy Timothy Thatcher. Or Minoru Suzuki, or Hideki Suzuki. These people stand out than the, uh, than you know, uh, the Young Bucks. Or um, I'm trying to think of like you know. Basically, the Young Bucks and people like. No disrespect to those folks. I mean, I understand they get a lot. They make a lot of money for what they do. But sometimes they need to realize that flips ain't the only thing that can get a match going. Exactly, exactly. Um, uh, did you want? Do you want to go over the Bloodsport card? Want to talk about? Oh, oh yeah, I mean yeah, you can go ahead and kick off the results of that. Let me just get because I was actually I forgot my notebook uh, when I went to this to the uh, show, so I actually was taking notes on my. Uh, 
on my Android. So let me see if I can get every get all that up. Um, uh, and I have the results and times right here. Um, so basically, the other thing was that it was all singles matches, no tag matches, all all but three of the matches went under ten minutes. Uh, that includes uh in the uh. So that's so you know that also tells you longer isn't always better. Sometimes shorter is better, and I can tell you that a lot of these matches were great, being nine, seven, three minutes. So, just for any wrestlers out there, ooh, excuse me, just for any wrestlers out there, thir having your thirty-minute epic match may not be the best suit. Sometimes shorter is better. Um, uh -huh. I'll just leave that at that. Uh -huh. But, uh, the first match... And I have the match notes up right here. Okay, great, great. So I'll let you, I'll let you start off of it, uh, uh Christian. Okay. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu specialist Dominic Garini, or Garini, defeated the New York badass Phil Baroni in 4 minutes and 12 seconds. However, it was because of the fact that Baroni got a little bit too testy with the referee. Why don't you explain that? Uh, yeah, so apparently, Phil Baroni, uh, he, he, he used, he, well, first off, Phil Baroni came out with MMA gloves and wrestling, and wrestler shoes. Um, he was healing up the crowd, he was talking shit to everybody. Um, and then during the match, uh, base, basically the whole match was basically Don McCarini trying to get Phil Baroni to the ground, submit him. But Phil Baroni was like, nah, I ain't doing that. And then Phil Baroni gave a closed fist, which is illegal in Bloodsport. Only pomp strikes are allowed uh, to uh, to uh, Dominic Rini. And then uh, originally he ruled it as a knockout. But oh no, I'm not. It wasn't a closed fist. It was it was a uh, kick to the ground. I believe it was a kick to, uh, while he was on the ground. Um, and uh, the the opponent. Yes. Yes, so it looks like they they go by uh, UFC uh, unified rules uh, for blood sports at least. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, what what happened was that uh, yeah, so he uh, gave this uh, kick uh, which the uh, referee initially did not see, so um, he ruled it as a knockout. But then I uh, Garini then said no no no, he kicked me while I was on the ground. And then, um, so yeah, uh, the referee reversed his decision. Uh, this, I'm just gonna read this from CageSideSeats.com. Um, oh, actually, there was also a Phil Jabroni chant, which is funny. Uh, so, uh, what is it? Uh, Phil Jabroni abuses the referee as Dom recovers, and then as Greeny stands up, he is met with an even better looking straight right that knocks him out for the count. Baroni will not leave the referee alone and gets disqualified. Oh, I, I stand corrected. Um, I also have to as as well. I was also drunk as well at this show, so I apologize if my memory is not one hundred percent correct. So Baroni will not leave the referee okay. will not leave the referee alone and gets disqualified and race anyway. So Garini ends up getting his hand raised and cheers from the audience. So basically, he won with won by knocking him out, but basically uh, got disqualified for um, continuing to beat down his opponent. I'm trying to think. Has that ever happened in MMA before? Um, where a referee reverses a, a knockout? Um, I know there's been... Didn't... Um, 
uh, what's his name, Rusimir Paul, Paul Harris, have, like, one... Yeah, did he ever have, did he have a submission win overturned because he held it on for too long, I think? Uh... Yeah, I think it was at a WSOF show, if I'm not mistaken. Was that but, the was that the uh, Jake Shields the Jake Shields fight that he had? Probably so. Has there ever been a fight where uh, an MMA fight where somebody knocked out the other person and just kept on wailing them? Uh, and the I know, remember there was that. Uh, no, wasn't Shinya? Was it Shinya Yoki? No, I don't think it was. There's that famous fight. It probably wasn't. There was a fight in Japan, may have been for Pride or Dream, where he would not stop beating on his opponent. And I think, like, Ren Henzo Gracie, who was on one side, came in and, like, got involved. Do you, does this, do you happen to remember that at all, Christian? I was probably in Pride, dude, but I don't really remember all that much about it. Okay. Um, I don't think it's ever happened to UFC, though, where um, somebody... The only thing I can think of that's remotely close would be the uh, Roy, uh, Roy Nelson versus, I think it was Nogueira, Big Nog, where he kicked uh, where he kicked the referee in the ass. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. I remember that. That was basically him just playing around with Big John McCarthy. Even though Cab MMA, the Brazilian MMA Commission, didn't see it as such. But uh, I'm guessing that, that the decision wasn't overturned, though, right? But he was fine, I believe, right? Oh, yeah. He was fine. He was made to go to court in Brazil, even though I don't know how the proceedings went down, especially considering the fact that they spoke mostly Portuguese. Yeah. There's only one language that Roy Nelson speaks, and that's and that's the language of food, and enchiladas, yeah, and burritos. Exactly. But uh, <laughs> out of all the matches, though, this was probably my least favorite from my memory, just because of the weird finish. Um, I was told by people um, who worked for the uh, who worked for Blood Sports. Uh, the friend I went with does know people who uh, who uh, who do uh, work for Blood Sport that. Uh, this ending was originally was not supposed to be how it happened initially. Uh-huh. It was originally supposed to be a it was supposed to be a win for uh, Gr- uh not Greeny uh for Baroni, uh but um. Well, I'll say that one of the two fighters in the uh in that match was was very very difficult, so that's why they 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 did the uh kind of the screwy finish at the end. Um, oh yeah, um, 
I also know that he was incredibly drunk, incredibly drunk throughout the entire uh, time that he was uh, in uh, in that venue. Damn! So he basically worked the match drunk. I don't know if he worked the match drunk. I can't. I can't confirm that. But he was drunk at least during after the match. The entire because the basically they had show. They had three more shows. They had two more shows. Excuse me. After the Bloodsport show. And I believe that Baroni stuck around for at least one of those shows, and I heard he was plastered as fuck during that match. Uh, during the, during the entire day. Oh, hey. Not during the match, excuse me. Oh, not... hey. At least he didn't have to wrestle, at least he didn't have to wrestle a few more times like some of the competitors on this card. Oof, yeah. Um, and actually, you know, speaking of, um, getting plastered, I, and I don't mean getting drunk plastered, I mean getting the sh- kicking the shit out of each other like they were... Like they were made of plaster. Bad transition, I know, but I don't care. Let's talk about the next match, though, because this was awesome, this next match. Ah, yes. J.R. Kratos, who had a sizable advantage as far as weight went, defeated the devious Johnny Simon Grimm in 9 minutes and 10 seconds. What was your thoughts about this match? Uh, uh, Let me get my notes up on my my phone, uh, because I had... uh, I put, wrote my uh, notes on here. Where is it? Do, do, do. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, well, J.R. Kratos won by knockout. Um, he delivered a powerbomb. Well, he was in Simon Simon Grimm's guard. And then he basically kind of like powerbombed him. Kind of like... Um, Rampage and Ricardo Arona. Oh, uh, yeah. I was, about, I was about to say um, Matt Hughes and... Um, oh, my God. I'm forgetting the other guy. Uh, Matt Hughes, who, who did Matt Hughes powerbomb in, uh, UFC? Uh, uh, to be honest, I don't know, because the only thing I remember when it came down to powerbombs in professional MMA was the Ricardo, I mean, was Ramp. Jackson powerbomb and Ricardo Arona while Arona had a submission hold on. Yeah, uh, well, while that was like one of the highlights of the old Pride FC days. So yeah, basically Simon Grimm didn't have him in a submission, but it was it was he was in his guard. Oh 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 oh! I think you meant Matt Hughes versus Carlos Arona. Yeah. right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know this this you know while both of those were in submissions though this wasn't in a submission though. So, you know, it was in his guard, but nonetheless, it still looked bru- brutal, and what happened was that it was actually probably more like Rampage, because technically, Matt Hughes was out when he gave that powerbomb, so, uh, but when Rampage gave that powerbomb, he was, he was awake as fuck, and as soon as he blasted, uh, Arona to the, uh, to the underworld, he just started pounding on him, that's basically what happened with this, Kratos, based, uh, powerbombed, Grim, and then just started elbowing him, elbowing him to his face, and the referee stopped, waved it off uh, by by knockout. But during this match, Kratos got busted open hard way on his nose. I don't know if he got a broken nose or like he just got like a like what a, what what caused it? Excuse me, but like it, he was bleeding pretty 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 bad uh, from his nose. Uh, Simon Grim also his mustache was shaved, so he looked. Totally different. He looks so much more different without the mustache. Uh, and I was basically that... he looked clean shaven, right? Oh yeah, but like, I was very disappointed. I was hoping he would go into the match with a mustache, 
But this this was basically like a hard hitting match with you know, oh and also the great Kratos he wore like these um he normally wears uh, legless trunks he wore these uh, leggings during the match and I thought like wow they they looked like uh like G pant leggings you know that like a Gordon Ryan or you know a, a Brazilian Jiu Jitsu guy would wear but uh this was Kratos this is my first time seeing him live Kratos you know. He's a wrestler who, you know, he clearly is a power guy. And he's a guy who's, who, who, you know, he needs to be booked as a guy who's like a monster. And if he's going up against a small guy like Simon Grimm, he, he's a guy who's, I, who can, he can work with smaller guys. You know, there's just like some, some big people who just cannot work with small guys. They just don't connect. Or, you know, they're always fucking up all the moves. Team Simon Grimm had great chemistry. This was a very good match. Um, it wasn't my favorite match of the show, but it was incredible. Like, just the amount of punishment these two were giving each other. I love it. It was an absolutely great match. I see, I see. And another great match you could probably talk about is the crazy boy, Masashi Takeda, who did work a death match later on that weekend. But he defeated Jonathan Gresham, the human octopus, the former reality of wrestling and combat zone wrestling heavyweight champion at seven minutes and one second. But really, nah, actually, I'm going out of order on the matches here because the next match after that was Baby Boy Smith Jr. versus. But what were your thoughts about the Takeda Gresham match, real quick? Oh, wait, you want me to talk about Baby Boy Smith Jr. Killer Cross or Takeda Gresham? Okay. Well, um, first of all, Takeda, his body is absolutely disgusting. He's got scars all over his body. Like, I have no idea how he can sleep at night without being in fucking pain. Um, but um, basically, yeah, there, uh, there, um, well, I'm, um, the most memorable thing in the match. I'm not saying that as as a as a that everything in the match was bad, but here, but what happened was that. Masashi Kitakeda, as you said, is a deathmatch wrestler. Still managed to somehow bleed during this match. And I'm going to explain how it happened. Wow. They were caught in a double submission. Wow. It was kind of like a, like a 50-50 guard. Uh, or like they both had like ankle locks or foot locks on each other. And they rolled out of the ring. Also, the other thing as well, Bloodsport does not have ring ropes. So, it you can't grab a ring rope. If you if you crawl, the only way you're getting, you're, you're getting out of the ring is by crawling out of the ring. So there's no ropes to, you know, bounce off or do anything off of. They fall out of the ring, and it looked like Takeda smashed his face on the ground. I have no idea if, if it was hard way or if, it was, if, if he gigged, but he was bleeding from his, from his eye. I believe it was his left eye. Um, and basically this, the entire match was them, do, was, like, was them working submissions over each other. And that was, that was the thing that, like, Takeda... <laughs> Was like, uh, Takeda's submissions were more over because like, I think the people that were there were familiar with Gresham, so like, oh, you know, Gresham's gonna do this. Takeda, they knew, oh, this guy's a this guy's a deathmatch guy. So what is he gonna do? He's like working like like abdominal stretches. He's working the arm. He's working the legs. And so Takeda was like massively over when he would do all all these all these grappling stuff. It was really cool. But it ended not by submission, but by knockout. So 
uh, what happened was that uh, a reminiscent of uh, uh, of um, if you remember uh, Nakamura versus Sakuraba Wrestle Kingdom, I think it was eight. Was it Wrestle Kingdom? Actually, it was Wrestle Kingdom nine. So, uh, Wrestle... No, 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 it wasn't Wrestle Kingdom nine. That was the one that was on pay per view here. Sakuraba and and uh, oh, Nakamura, okay. Nakamura. Um, I'm trying. Yeah, it was Russell, It was probably Wrestle Kingdom eight. Okay, if not, it was Wrestle Kingdom seven. But um, there was a a uh, a moment where where Sakuraba, or since Nakamura tried to go in for a uh, a, uh, a a takedown, but then Sakuraba knees him right in the face, and and Nakamura goes down. That's basically how this match ended. Um, uh, Gresham tried to go for a takedown. Uh, Decatur does a jumping knee, knocks him out. Referee weighs it off. It was an absolutely brutal knockout. Wow. Beautiful. Um, absolutely. This was this was this was maybe my second favorite match of the night. This match was so awesome. And here's the thing: they only went seven minutes long, seven one minutes and seven minutes and one second, and it was awesome. These two were fantastic. I would love to see Takeda in more non-deathmatch stuff if he ever wants to go back, if he ever wants to do it again. It was fantastic. Absolutely great. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't mind seeing Takeda compete more in non-deathmatch competition, even if it means a possible return to MMA for him. Because mm. he does have a damn good record. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and Gresham, you know, I wasn't a fan of his when he started out, but every every time I see him more, I become more and more a fan of his. Mm -hmm. uh, and, but uh, by the way, the match about—I mean, the match you were talking about, Sakuraba versus Nakamura—that did happen at Wrestle Kingdom Nine. Uh, Sorry to burst your bubble there. Are you 100% ice? Because I thought, what's the, what is the one, what is the Wrestle Kingdom that they had in, in America? The, I mean, the one that was Aaron and Paige oh, in America. Oh, actually, no, no, no. That was Wrestle Kingdom 7. Oh, okay, okay. I knew it was either 8 or 7. I knew it could have been 9 because 9 was the one that they had that they aired on pay-per-view here. And I was like, that was my first time ever watching a full Wrestle Kingdom lot uh, on a, uh, ever, and like, it's straight in a straight Wrestle Kingdom, um, but uh, but you want to go? You want to go to that uh, Davy Boy Smith Jr. Uh, Killer Cross match? Uh, yes, Davy Boy Smith Jr. defeated Killer Cross in twelve minutes thirty four seconds via submission, right? Uh, yes, yes, he did. But he tapped out uh, Killer Cross with a cross face. Funny, um, huh. but basically. The, the the match was the, at first they it looked like they were gonna they, they did a uh, you ever heard the term Gracie tap yeah it looked like Kill Cross did that initially during like uh, maybe five six seven minutes into the match where he like he did like a Gracie tap to Davy Boy Smith and he thought he won and then Davy Boy Smith was like I I felt you tap and Kill Cross was like no 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 I didn't no I didn't um. So, like, Killer Cross was kind of, like, playing a little bit of his, like, Impact character. He wasn't, like, full, full like, you know, silent, violence guy. But, like, he was more, like, cunning in this match, I guess you could say. Uh, the, but the, the, the bet, you know, you know, obviously, David Boy Smith Jr. was doing, you know, the, the catch-as-catch-can stuff, grappling holds, 
Um, but there was a great sequence between the two where they were just palm striking each other in the face. And it was just, you could just feel them just, just hitting each other. It felt, I felt like the way, it, oh, it, 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 I will never forget that sound of them just like cracking each other in the face. Uh, Davey Boy Smith was also so over with the crowd as well. Um, and, um, it was actually funny. Killer Cross was not booked on the TNA, on the Impact show that was that same night in New Jersey. Well, I'm pretty sure there probably had to be some issues with that. I just thought it was, I thought it was kind of weird. I don't even know if he was booked on any other shows. Um, I don't know if he was... I think he was only booked on uh, Bloodsport that day. I mean, come to think of it, he was probably... He might have been booked for a Blackcraft wrestling event that happened on the Friday of oh, the weekend, but... <laughs> the Blackcraft show. That's, uh... I'm so glad I didn't go to that show. I'm really glad. Yeah, because you would have basically stayed out a little bit past your bedtime, and then somebody might have broken into your house. Exactly, exactly. Um, but yeah, this was a great match. You know, um, I'm trying to think of what uh, what else during the match. Um, uh, I'm trying. Killer Cross. He's a. You know, I was wondering how he would wrestle, do this, because like. I just see him more as a traditional pro wrestler. Actually, you know, here's a funny thing as well. Do you know he trained at Syndicate MMA for a while? Oh, I mean, I think I heard about that, but I didn't actually know that. I yeah, like way after, like the day after that, I wrote my preview for him on MMAsucker.com. Like I went on his Instagram and just like all this stuff. Uh, uh, oh, like I found like these videos of him training um, boxing at uh, Syndicate MMA. And also, he, uh, he also, um, what was it? He, he also was, um, uh, he had, um, he did something with pan pancreas, like, um, a pancreas, uh, MMA fighter, a pro wrestler before. Like, he had, like, a match with them, like, no, 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 okay. In Future Stars of Wrestling, where, wherever he was first starting, he was doing, like, the old pancreas, Minoru Suzuki, uh, catches catch can style wrestling. Now he doesn't. Like well, snake pit stuff. Yeah, snake pit stuff. Yeah, and like, but now he doesn't do it anymore because you know I don't think it would fit his character and and impact. But like, like that's what hell he used to wrestle before as when he when he first started. Yeah, and that's how he basically got booked to the Anoki Genome Federation. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So I didn't. I I thought initially that I was like, oh, this is the, this is probably the most pro wrestler guy that they have on here. No, he probably is one of the least pro wrestling guys that they have had on the card entirely. Um, but yeah, you know, it was a great match between these two. Um, the crowd was so hot, hot for kill uh, for not kill across for David Boy Smith Jr. He was so over. Um, and he is a huge guy as well, David Boy Smith Jr. Absolutely huge. Oh, yeah. Like they say, like they said about people like him back in the day, he was built like a brick shit house. Exactly, exactly. Uh, you want to go into the next match there, Christian? Oh, yes, most certainly. And you know the thing about less is more, right? Oh, yes. 
Dirty Daddy Chris Dickinson defeated Andy Williams, the bass guitarist from Every Time I Die, in 3 minutes 45 seconds. What were your thoughts about this match? So this match was awesome. Three minutes of awesomeness, and they they the match started off with them beating the shit out of each other. They were basically it was like Fry Takayama. That's how they started the match. They were just slapping the shit out of each other, slapping the shit out of each other, slapping the shit out of each other, and then uh, Dickinson um just like just like steamrolls over him, like gave him a power bomb, and then um, managed to lock in a rear naked chokehold. At the end of the match for the tap out. But these were just two hosses beating the shit out of each other for three minutes. And it worked. It was fantastic. Just absolutely. It was beautiful, beautiful violence. I, you know, and the sad thing is that, you know, I, uh, people, are, you might dis dismiss the match th because it was only three minutes. I thought it was a great three minutes. I, I wish I wish that length didn't matter so much in matches. They they did enough. They did more in three minutes than I've seen in some matches that go forty five minutes. And they both, you know, this is my first time seeing Andy Williams. Andy Williams has a great look. He has a he has a unique look. I absolutely love the way that like he 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 comes out. He comes out with the with the monocle and and the uh, and the. Uh, uh, was a fur coat or leather jacket? One of those things. Because I saw him on two different shows. Probably a fur coat. Yeah. He has an absolutely great look. He looks like an absolute badass. He has a handlebars mustache. Yeah. The, like, these two worked worked so great of each other. It was it was absolutely great. Four and a half stars. Four and a half stars, as, as uh, some journalists might say. Uh, I know who exactly you're talking about. Let's not mention his ass. <laughs> but let's do move on because there goes that theme again. Less is more. 43-year-old Frank Mir submitted 62-year-old Dan the Beast Severn with a heel hook. Three minutes, 43 seconds. What were your thoughts about this match? And what was your initial reaction to Frank Mir making his pro wrestling debut, albeit in the company of Phil Baroni? Yeah. Um, it's so funny because, like, oh, well, first of all, uh, Frank Mir was wearing uh, Bellator shorts in, in, his, um, in his match, which was really cool. Uh, Dan Severin, you know, you know who we interviewed on, on the show, 60, almost 60 years old, yet, you know, I don't want, he, he, it's weird, he's, he's always been, like, he looks in shape, he looks in better, like, he was, he never had, the, like, the ripped abs, he was never, like, he never had, like, this felt body, but yet, you could tell this guy was strong as fuck, and, like, looking at 60-year-old, nearly 60-year-old, uh, Dan Severn, you can tell this guy still goes to the gym every day. You can tell he still works out on, on the on the cardio machine. You can tell this guy still like maybe picks up like you know like sandbags or, or some sort of this guy you can tell this guy's strong as fuck. Um and with um you know the big question was how was Frank Mir gonna work this match? And they worked the match Barely standing up, it went to the ground almost immediately, and they were basically it became like a grappling match that you'd see in like submission underground or metamorph, me, metamorphosis or uh, quintet, which we'll be talking about later. 
Yeah, and they were basically just like rolling around, rolling around, rolling around. And then, you know, just like when Frank Mir beat Brock Lesnar. You know, they were, you know, they the first time. They were rolling around for a bit. He got that, uh, well, in that case, it was a knee bar. In this case, it was a heel hook. He got it. Frank, uh, Dan Severn tapped out immediately. Um, I think it did surprise a lot of people. A lot of people were kind of like, oh, that's it? That's what happened? Um... But then when it um when when it happened, people were like, "Oh, okay. Uh, we we see what happened. We understand why it happened." Now, after the match, Frank Mir got on the microphone, and I couldn't hear him at first because the acoustics were horrible in this venue. Um, but apparently, he said that he's getting he, he he's getting to pro wrestling because this is the only way that that Brock Lesnar I know that Brock Lesnar will face me. He'll never face me in MMA again. But I can, but he'll face me in a pro wrestling match, and I can beat him uh, once again, or something like that. He basically said, and this was his quote, not ours, but he basically said he wanted to kill Brock Lesnar. Oh yeah, he said that. Yeah, he did say that. You know, it's funny. There were some people who actually were like, who said they were very uncomfortable that he said that. Um, and it's like, I don't know. I think there's worse things to be mad about than him saying that. Um, but yeah, he said that, and um, yeah, you know, I mean, like this, it was great. You know, the match was was simple enough. One Frank Mir was able to to just outlast um, outlast uh, Dan Severn, and um, yeah, you know, like we predicted, Frank Mir is a better submission guy, so. You kind of figure that Frank Mir would submit a guy like Dan Severin on uh, on any given Sunday. Mm-hmm. Or oh, in this case, any given Friday. Uh, yeah. Oh, no, it was uh, Thursday. I mean, it was... actually, any given day of the week, really. Yeah, essentially <laughs> so, yeah. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Um. Now, the next match we should go to is a match that a lot of people seem to have enjoyed, other than the main event. Hideki Suzuki, who for a few U.S. viewers, myself included, the first introduction we got of him was when he faced off against Josh Barnett on New Year's Eve 2011, and he got powerbombed half to death by Barnett, but they had a pretty good match. Yeah. Inside that um, Dream M1 Global K1 event. But yeah, Hideki Suzuki who was trained by Billy Robinson. He made his U.S. debut and defeated another skilled catch wrestler and Timothy Thatcher, who spent some time in Europe, in 12 minutes. Now, first of all, what did he, what did Suzuki defeat Thatcher by, and what were your overall thoughts about this match? Um, well, he defeated him by KO with double arm suplex. Um... Oh. I know, surprising, you know, you you think wrestling is now like, oh, you can't knock out anybody with anything, and he knocks him out with a, with a, with a double-arm suplex. Um, and, um, what was it? Uh, oh, yeah, so what I think of the match overall, I thought it was great. So basically, the, at first, the match started out like, you know, with, 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 with holds and arm locks and that sort of thing, and then it became a, a slap and kick fest where they were just slapping each other, kicking each other in the chest, 
So it was kind of, they basically it was like the match was uh, twelve minutes, uh, and it was basically like one half of the match was submission, the other half became striking. I like that. It was really, 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 really cool. And I know that a lot of people don't like Thatcher. No, a lot of people don't like Suzuki, Hideki Suzuki. Um, I like Thatcher and I like Suzuki. I because they just they wrestle so differently. They wrestle so differently than the average wrestler that you see on the Indies. But yeah, I know I I love this match. This match was fantastic, and it was a great it was a great way to end it because like the whole thing was um basically yeah the, the story of the match was that Suzuki was trying to trying to suplex uh, Thatcher, but basically what happened was that Thatcher would block it every time he would try to go for a suplex. So you knew okay this this uh this suplex is it is, it can mean uh can mean the end. And when he finally got it, that uh, the uh, and he didn't get up, referee waved it off, and you know that's you know the audience completely understood. Yeah, this th that's that 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 ends it. That ends it right there. Uh huh. Uh, fantastic match. Probably that was probably my third favorite match of the uh of the entire show. I mean, would you basically say it's better than the main event? Oh uh, no, the main event was something special. I absolutely love the main events. It was something. It was an incredibly special match in many ways, and we could talk about. We could, you know, it's so funny that like, you know, what, what we want to just go right into the main event, and I could talk about like why it's why it was so awesome. Ah yes, the main event: Josh Barnett, the War Master Josh Barnett versus the modern day wrestling badass Minoru Suzuki. He wrestled to a 25-minute time limit draw. And, you know what, it's weird to me. Because I just stumbled upon this interview that, you know, Josh Barnett put out in, like, 2016 when he was still with the UFC saying MMA can learn a lot from professional wrestling. I want to get your thoughts on this match, but I want to get your thoughts overall on what you think. And I mean, what you think that MMA could learn from the pro wrestling that was displayed on this show? Um, let's see. Well, that a lot of you know that MMA and pro wrestling, you know, well, let's say in the case of Phil Baroni, you could Phil there there are ways. Well, here's the thing as well. There's a lot of people, you know. I think there's a lot of fighters who know how how to work crowd, how to get how how to talk themselves into a title shot. But I think a lot of fighters also don't know how to do that. I think a lot of fighters lack. I'm trying to think of like how to say it, like, without saying too mean. They lack a certain pizzazz. They Pizza lack a certain genesse uh, quoi. Yeah. Um. And you know. Like here's the thing, like also publicly, like like Nate Diaz when he called out Conor McGregor after defeating Michael Johnson, and we know he did, it, you know, uh, when he, you know, I'm not surprised. Oh no, no, that was a, that was a, where he's like Conor McGregor, you took everything I got, motherfucker, all that stuff. You know what? Listen, Nate, the Diaz brothers are are not are not pro wrestling fans. They they despise pro wrestling, but they come from a background where they can talk like a pro wrestler and still sounds. You know, it's you know they can they they can still have that gift of gab. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, basically they can cut pro wrestling style promos, but 
Look, Pacquiao well, here, here's, has to get a fight. Put it this way, you know, I'll, you know, Manny Pacquiao, one of the greatest boxers of all time. Here's the thing, though, and I don't know if this is an English, uh, an English thing, or if it's just like how he is personally, but he can never cut a promo, ever. He never seems. Oh yeah, of course he couldn't because he's too noble. He's too nice. And there, I, you know, I think the the days of of GSP. You know, saying you know, I, I, I highly respect my opponent, my opponent. Uh, I, I was not too impressed with your, with your performance there. You know, I think though, I think, I think those days are long gone. Now's the day, you know, in this social media age, you know, of, of knee-jerk reactions, of shit talking, you know, uh, uh, not clickbait, you know, um, what do you call it? Um, starting shit, you know. Basically, I think using. Basically using social media to hype up the fight, and one of the first examples of that was the Frank Shamrock Phil Baroni fight for the Strike Force middleweight title, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know if it was no wait, actually it was for the Elite XC lightweight title. Uh yeah. So yeah, you know, that's what MMA fighters can win from pro wrestling is the promotion on how to and how to sell a fight. Chell Sonnen gets it perfectly down. I know a lot of people don't like Chell Sonnen, but you know, you can't deny it's Chell Sonnen knows how to sell a fight, and you know, people always tune into his fights um, on television. Um, and in terms of what pro wrestling can win from MMA, you know, this was, this was, this was, this, this 25 minute match, which originally was 20 minutes, because all the matches were all had a limited uh, time of 20 minutes. Uh, what happened was that this match, uh, Josh Barnett and Minoru Suzuki went, went to the limit. It went, bro uh, not Broadway, but it went, uh, a third Broadway. I think a third? Or, or whatever it was. Yeah, it went, tw it went the full 20 minutes. Crowd started chanting, uh, five more minutes, five more minutes. They went five more minutes, still went to a draw. They couldn't finish each other. And I think with the, with the MMA thing is that a lot of pro wrestling can learn is... That there is a that there is an audience for 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 MMA style pro wrestling out there, and I know that again. Like I said before, a lot of fans don't like it for whatever reason, but I think that there's you, you can only you can only have a, a, so much wrestling that does so many flips. And there wasn't okay. There's a reason why this show sold out. There's a reason why GCW, why Bloodsport last year and this year have sold out, and why people have praised them mm -hmm. intensely, because they are so different. They have a feeling that's so different. They, they, the wrestling is so different. It's just such a, it's so different, and that's why it stands out. I went to, uh, I went to WrestleCon versus U.S. versus the World. Uh, oh, Christian, Christian, I'm getting an echo on your side. Um, is the television on? No, actually, it's just me sitting here by myself. Okay, because I'm hearing an echo in, in your background. Oh, damn, that sucks. Um, I thought it was a television. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, so, like, I went to WrestleCon versus the world, and U.S. versus the world, and what happened was that there was just, you know, there had to be, like, five different matches where people were, like, doing dives and just, like, all, like, the only match that was maybe traditional, that was wrestled so differently was they brought was Brian Pillman Jr.'s match where he wrestled 
an 80s style, like an 80s style baby face. Where, you know, it was like, it was like limb work and that sort of thing. And, um, that's the thing is that, and, and, you know, you know, I know, I think that's, the problem with pro wrestling now is that it's not taken seriously because of, you know, let's be honest, you know, WWE has, 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 has caused that, you know, when you say that you're, that you're, what you're presenting is not, has no stakes, has no value, there, no one, you know, the wins and losses don't matter, you know, mm-hmm. nobody's gonna, people won't take it seriously. Bloodsport was taken seriously because the wins and losses matter. These guys could get knocked out with a punch. These guys can get knocked out with a head kick. These guys could get submitted with an armbar. You know, those the stakes are a lot higher. If you know the guy is not going to tap out to a sleeper hold in the first three minutes of the match, what's why would you be uh why, why would you want to pay attention? You know exactly. So that's where you know. And, you know, but I know that a lot of, you know, and you know, it's funny, you know, one of my favorite um, eras of Ring of Honor was when Davey Richards was, 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 was their um, top guy. And he was doing these shoot style matches that are very reminiscent of like Noah and uh, kind of like the uh, IGF uh, UFO type. And I love that. I love that style because... It's just a. I think it's just a, a, a interesting way to present pro wrestling. When you have people, if you have to go, if if you have to, you know, there's a way to present wrestling as real, the right way, and that's the in ring work. When you're trying to do shoot style ang- uh, angles where people are invading the ring or you know trying to like have an invasion or whatever it is that's when you do it wrong yeah but some of those angles those invasion angles are pretty much done to death half the damn time exactly um but i don't want i want to dread on this too much because we're talking a lot oh uh we still have a lot more to talk about but yeah basically yeah you know this match you know they they were working realistic holds when when uh, when Suzuki would get an ankle lock, you get, Josh Barnett would be screaming in pain, but he'd be trying to get out of it, you know, trying to reverse it, you know. Uh-huh. Um, they would they they would they were trying, you know, they were slapping each other, palm strikes, to the face and to the chest. Their sweat was uh-huh. flying all over the place. It felt like a war. He uh, you know. They, uh, he earned his nickname the War Master during that match, and you know Minoru Suzuki, you know already, you know they they, they call him the King for a reason, and yeah, but he's really so much of a badass that giving him a nickname wouldn't do it justice. And also here's the other thing as well, Minoru Suzuki in every show I saw him on, he was on the Rev Pro show as well, which I went to in the in the G1 show. He was over on every show. People went crazy for him. So yeah, there, I think there is an audience for this, for this, for the, for his style of pro wrestling. And the one thing I worry about is when people like him are, are are gone, and you know Timothy Thatcher is gone, Hideki Suzuki is gone. I feel like a lot of this this style of wrestling is is going to go away, unfortunately. Exactly, but, and I think it's only going to be a matter of time before, I mean, if and when they do pass on to the afterlife. People will basically, you know, the world catch wrestling by the wayside, pretty much. Unfortunately, unfortunately. 
But uh, yeah, the main event was my favorite match. Um, it was my favorite show for WrestleMania week. It's actually one of my favorite shows of the year in general. It was such a. Th it was so like I I cannot wait for. I think that Bloodsport might be the only WrestleMania week show I will watch religiously every year from now on. I, I don't think. I mean, come to think of it, I know. You were trying to say something. I know you were about to say something, and I hate to interrupt, even though it's kind of my thing. <laughs> but still, when it came down to blood sport, when it came down to that 25-minute draw that Josh Barnett had with Minoru Suzuki, wouldn't be surprised if that leads to the start of a new version of the UWFI or the UWF. That'd be great, you know, and have a rematch between those two to decide that, uh, you know, like maybe a championship, you know, the... Uh... Bloodsport uh, champion or, or whatever. Um, or the Real World's Heavyweight Championship. Yeah. That was the last held by Vader. May he rest in peace. Exactly, exactly. Uh, and, uh, yeah. I, I, it would be great if Bloodsport can continue. Um, but, yeah. Best yeah, show. But it would also be great if, because of the Josh Barnett Hideki Suzuki fight, I mean, match. Not fight <laughs> match. It would be great if catch wrestling could be more integrated, like get its own promotion, so to speak. And that's what I think would happen if Josh Barnett decides to, you know, help bring back that old UWF snake pit style of professional wrestling, but do it like in a promotional sense. Ah, oh, yeah, exactly. That'd be great. That that would be great. It would be. Um... You know, it would be great from all the flippy-doodle stuff that we have on the uh, wrestling circuit, circuit right now. It would be, be so much better. Um, but if anybody is interested in uh, hearing more about Bloodsport, we do have two interviews, with uh, one with Dominic Carini uh, and Dan Severin that we talked to before the show. And you can re order the replay on Fight TV. And best show, like I said, best show of WrestleMania week. GCW knows how to make a show. And can't wait for it again next year. Uh, with that, uh, Christian, do you want to go into uh, 1FC or Quintet next? What do you think? What do you want to talk about more? Uh, I think we should go into 1FC next. I know that you probably want to talk about Quintet because they made history this past weekend with a, an all-women's show. But I think it's best that we talk about 1FC and... One other thing when it comes down to television ratings. Oh, yes. Um, so, for those that don't know, 1FC, um, it was actually, how long ago was it? Was it, was that three weeks ago that they, that they had the Japan show? I think it was a little less than two weeks ago, if okay. I'm not mistaken, because WrestleMania weekend was last weekend. If we are listening to this, it was April 5th to the 8th. Well, actually, April 4th to the 8th, you gotta add in that Monday as well, April 8th, because some shit was wild. But, the 1FC show that happened, that was on March 31st. No, wait, actually, that was on March 24th, if I'm not mistaken, but still, it was a little while back. Yeah, so, uh, 1FC had their big Japan debut show at the Tokyo, in Tokyo, that's Sumo Hall, or Wio Goku Koku Gikan, as uh, Michael Schiavello said many times during the show. Um, 
they, is actually pronounced Ryogoku Kokujikan. Yes, and I don't. I will not. I will not uh, harp on him for mispronouncing it. I will only harp on him for for saying it so many goddamn times during the show. Like literally, it was every other five minutes he was saying. And here's the thing: I've been to Japan twice. People still there. Still, I just call it Ryogoku or even just Sumo Hall. Nobody calls it the full name. It'd be like calling the Barclays Center. It's like calling, like, nobody nobody ever says the Barclays Center. Everybody just says the Barclays. Everybody says... Just call it Barclays. Exactly, right? yeah. Yeah, nobody ever calls it the Barclays Center. I never say, hey, I'm going to the Barclays Center. You just say, I'm going to Barclays. Everybody knows what you're going, what you're talking about. You say, you're go in Japan, you're going to Ryogoku. They know what you're talking about. You say Sumo Hall. They still know what you're talking about. Nobody calls it the full name. Or when it comes down to New York, if you're saying you want to go to Madison Square Garden, you're saying, hey, I'm going to MSG or I'm going to the Garden. Exactly, yes. Exactly. Um, but the, their show, this show, um, it was called A New Era, and it was supposedly supposed to be their big, their big hype debut into... Into the world of, of Japanese, um, not Japanese MMA, but like into the Japanese uh, uh, bowl of, of combat sports. Because they mostly, they do their shows in Singapore and I think Indonesia and also the Philippines mostly. Uh, but 1FC want, has been wanting to do Japan for a while. And this was their time to do it. Uh, they supposedly said they sold out Sumo Hall. They did not. I can assure you that because I know people that went to that show and they could tell me that uh, if the show was sold out, they certainly did not sell out the tickets because I know they either they either didn't sell the show or they paid for the show. One or two. It was probably comp tickets. Yeah. Let's be real. Exactly. And um, I can also tell you the other reason why I don't believe it was because if you look at how they did the how they lit the show. You can see if they did not show the audience. I can tell you for a fact that most of the time, most they when they they did not show the audience. I think at all during this entire this six hour show. So if they really did, they would have shown the audience, like shown all those people that were sitting there in Sumo Hall. Um, uh, I forgot it was and yeah. So basically, if you want watch the show in America, you had to you had to watch it through. The the FC app or through um uh the Bleacher Report be on live which I never did before I had to make an account I hated doing that but yeah the uh, that's how I watched the show um I won't lie the show was fantastic there was a lot of great fights in the card there was actually one fight that's one of that has uh it's gonna be one of my worst fights of the year it was a kickboxing match um. Between, let me just get the names of the uh, two fighters correctly. Um, remember, it was a Greek guy and a Malaysian guy, but I want to get the uh, get the names of them correctly. Oops, excuse me. Uh, it's okay. It was a, a, a kickbox, a Muay Thai, excuse me, Muay Thai kickboxing match between Panasaz Yusev from Cyprus, not not Greek, as Cyprus. I Cyprus, uh, uh, defeating Mohammed bin Mahmud. From Malaysia, and this is one of the worst fights I've I've seen this year because uh, Muhammad kept on fouling to the point that he got a yellow card, and basically the fighters were basically doing nothing. So 
Absolutely terrible fight. Absolutely shitty. And I don't recommend that anybody watch it. But the main card itself was great because every match was a finish. Um, all uh, they it was. You had some great finishes like uh, like Demetrius Johnson uh, submitting Yuya Wakamatsu. Uh, Eddie Alvarez in his one his one FC debut getting knocked out by Timothy Nasty Coon. Uh, Nasty Nasty Yukin, yeah. Um, much to the surprise of everybody, Fairtex getting his win max against Andy Sauer. Can't forget that. Um, oh yes, Johnson Clyde Eway Fairtex. Uh, uh Eway uh, and uh, Anwan Song, the big star from uh. From uh, uh, I'm forgetting Burma from Myanmar. Myanmar, uh, Burma. Uh, uh, knocking out Ken Hasegawa and their rematch, and um, Andrew, uh, uh, Zhang Jingyang making the uh, comeback from Angela Lee, who let's be honest, I think that Angela Lee, uh, they were blanking on her to be one, be like their Ronda Rousey, um, one FC, and um, but um, uh, Angela Lee. Almost could have won that match had it gone decision, but uh, but um, she went up a weight class, I believe. She normally fights at animal weight. That's the other thing as well. So they they do their weight classes differently. They call like lightweight, like what, what do they do? Christian, do you know how they do their weight classes exactly? Again, they do them much differently than like UFC or Ryzen, right? I think when it comes down to 1FC, the way that they do weight classes is based on a person's walking weight. That's what I thought. Okay. Well, I've heard of some things that that may not be 100% true, but uh, that's supposedly what they do. Right, um, right, right. Uh, one, oh, actually, uh, on the prelim card, the main event was a um, match between uh, Danny Kingod from uh, the Philippines and defeating Senzo Ikeda from Japan. One of the best matches I've seen this year. Just an absolute war between these two. Um, oh yeah, and Ikeda is a former King of Pancrase champion. Exactly. Uh, Shinya Aoki getting his win back from uh, and gained the one light late championship from uh, Edward Foliang, uh by submitting him um, in the first round. Um, but. I the the big story of the of the of the card for me was that Bibiano Fernandez winning by winning the championship again getting back to his championship that he lost from Kevin Bellingong right is that how you pronounce it Bellingong Bellingon Bellingon um by by illegal by by illegal elbows to, and punches illegal elbows to the back of the head. I can't remember the last time the title's ever changed on a DQ ever in MMA history. For a major organization. Ever in MMA history, more like ever in combat sports. So, and you know, these these two had fought each other, I think, one other time. In which, um, uh, Bellingen defeated Bibiano Fernandez by a somewhat controversial split decision. And that's how he got the title. Mm -hmm. But this is the best thing I think that could have happened for that fight. Because uh, now you have an excuse to have another rematch. Having the oh, Philippines. Yeah, definitely. Having the Philippines. Uh, in my Especially personal. 
one that probably might sell tickets. Exactly, exactly. how it ended. People were like pissed off about it. No, fuck, that's like the best thing that could have happened between these two because people were like, it wasn't, I thought that Bibiano won the first match. Oh no, I thought Kevin won that match. Uh, most people thought that Bibiano won it, but the judges saw it differently. But regardless, now you have a second match where there's a DQ finish. That's great. I love that. And also, it went. It was in third round, and I think they gave the first round to uh, Bibiano, and the second round to Kevin. So the third round, basically, and it ends in. It's a great story. I I like it. I don't know why people why they were so upset about that. That's just me. But we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about ratings and one's presence in Japan. And uh, Christian, do you want to read? And not to mention, when it comes down to ratings we're also here to talk about you know a potential thing that's happening with another one of their television partners yeah uh they were also aired on tnt at 11:45 the next day april 1st which i totally forgot about i would have watched it had i remembered but um they okay, i'm pretty sure a lot of people didn't remember <laughs> or didn't know um but uh one promoted this show as like the biggest show in japanese mma history this is what their their CEO Chatri has said. This is not. I'm not making this up. This Chatri is. This is what he has actually said. He said that that Japanese MMA has been dormant, dormant for the last I don't know how many years, um. And um, they he uh, the ratings came out on a Bima TV where it aired live, uh, and. Chachi apparently didn't he say that this show that this watch was watched by a total of 49 million people worldwide oh god the exaggerated numbers yes he did say that it was watched by over 1.2 billion people around the world okay so and we all know that's a bald faced lie so here are the ratings for that came out so that they're under 200,000 people so and here are the things that beat it Jewels, Deep Jewels, which is an only women's MMA, Pancrase, and Crush, which is a kickboxing promotion, uh, and a bunch of other things as well beat it. Um, oh, you mean like news programs? News programs, anime, anime, some fishing program as well. Apparently, also. Um, okay, yeah. These are. By the way, these are from Korea, Korea fan. Um, who you can follow on Twitter. He's, uh, I believe he's from Japan and he, uh, he, um, got these ratings. So he said that, um, the other things that made that. Oh no, actually he's from San Francisco, California and his name is Karate Okay. Um, what else was there that beat it? Uh, a, a, a shogi tournament, figure skating and talk show. Seriously, wow, that's that's the best they could try and attempt. So yeah, uh, it, for all the people that were like, you know, that this was that this was here's the thing. This show did have a lot of hype behind it. I heard a, you know a lot of people were talking about it in the MMA bubble and including in places where normally non UFC talk is a scourge. I'll say uh, this show did get a lot of hype. Exactly. So, like a certain subreddit that blocks people for even talking about non-UFC stuff. Yes. Or gets mad that I posted an article about Manny Pacquiao going to Ryzen 
and then saying that I was that I that I was using I, I had clickbait in the headline even though I didn't I said that he was signed as an ambassador in non-combat to Ryzen but that's beside the point so exactly um uh this show did have a lot of hype behind it at least outside Japan but apparently in Japan they couldn't give a shit. Actually the, actually, the exact ratings were 140,300. Um, oh. And that was 10,000 less than a uh, an anime called Fate Stay Night, which I've never heard of. I've heard of it, but I haven't seen the English dub for it yet. Okay. So, I don't know how big a beam of TV is there. Um, I, I think it's like, is that, is that a regular channel, like a TV Asai, or is it like a cable channel? That you have to pay for? Like oh, a... yeah, it's one of the big channels in Japan. Okay. Along uh, with NHK, TV Tokyo, and TV Asahi. Okay. Um, just for also let everybody know, I was interviewed on Abima TV when I did interview Ken Hasegawa uh, uh, for MMASucker.com. There were TV Abima uh, uh, crews there, and they interviewed me about uh, Ken Hasegawa. So, I'm on Abima TV at some point. And I don't know, and I will probably never see it myself. But I digress. Wow. Um, but yes, yeah, so... But they're probably going to know you, right? Oh, that'd be... F- yeah, yeah. Um, I, that, I, I gave... I did uh, I did plug the podcast. I was like, you know... And I, when they asked me for my name, I was like, Andrew Benjamin, uh, host of We Are Rising podcast slash MMA journalist. Something like that. Um, so, yeah, so, but uh, Abima TV, yeah. I don't want to say that nobody tuned in, but I think that the hype for one is just what it is. Hype. And yeah, I don't, and they're, they're showing to up. To be honest, why do you think that Turner Sports signed them on? I have no idea. I don't know. Maybe Chachi's, he has to get the gab and he convinced them otherwise. But, you know, they're not airing. Uh, that's the only show they, they've aired of theirs. So, there's. They yeah, just... but Andrew, if you think about it, when it comes down to the one FC deal that they just signed late last year and that started back in January, I mean, no, it actually they started back in February. But still, point of the matter is they're gonna be doing this like once a month when it comes down to these condensed shows because even though there's gonna be twenty of these this year, twenty of these one FC events. They're going to basically treat these shows, like for the condensed version, like they're tentpole shows. Even though they know that they're not going to get that much of a good rating in the U.S. Um, well, you know, that's what happens when you get, when you air at 11.45 p.m. in the United States, Eastern Time, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean. Yeah, especially Eastern Time. And then expect the people out in the Pacific time zone to watch it at 11.45 their time. So basically, yeah. I don't know what, you know. I think that 1FC is trying to become like UFC. I think that's what their main goal is. They want to be a second competitor to UFC. And I don't, you know, I think they're, I, you know, they're an example of they're putting, they're counting their, their chickens their eggs before they hatch. Before they hatch. Yes. They are absolutely doing that. Uh, and I guess they have unlimited money because clearly that's, it won't affect them. You know, I 
They're gonna they're still doing a whole bunch of shows this year, but clearly, you know, and the worst thing is when people buy into this hype that when one FC is telling because you know, there are people who do believe this shit. Uh yeah, like the people that basically say that Mei Yamaguchi is the greatest Japanese women's mixed martial artist of all time. Mm. We all know that Megumi Fuji really beat her. And you could also and make so it. Did Ayaka Hamasaki. Exactly. Um, say I know there's a lot of people. I know a lot of listeners that we have don't like UFC, but they're tired of UFC stuff. But you know, here's the thing I could say as well: UFC at least there's a standard of like, okay, if you've made it here and you're a champion here. You could be considered one of the best. One FC does not have that standard yet, at all. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and here's the thing: One FC put on a great show. I will not deny. New Era was a great show. Uh, one maybe one of my favorite shows of the year, depending on how things go. You know, with the other shows that I'm going to watch this year, but they have a lot. They 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 do they have a long way to go if they want to compete in Japan. You know, Pride didn't come all didn't come to America as soon as they started. They waited for a while. They know they knew when to come. They knew when to expand. They knew when to broaden. You know, there's a reason why. You know, also was you know going back a little bit to WrestleMania week, a, a bunch of other show. Um, there was um you some other UK promotions and and a German promotion that came by that hardly drew. Because nobody, oh, basically, Fight Club Pro and WXW come and IPW and IPW UK. They came over. Nobody came to those shows. Here's the thing: DT came to those shows because DT built up a brand. Stardom built up a brand. Obviously, New Japan. You gotta build up your brand first. Mhm, mhm. <laughs> and if you don't build up your brand and expect to come over to the states, the biggest combat sport weekend of the year you're not going to get that many people you're not going to get that many asses and seats as the old time goes exactly and so you know all these all these things about you know that one was going to sign tension one was going to sign reina none of this stuff is listen don't believe any of the shit that chatri says he's a guy like he's the type of guy. If he tells me the sky is blue, I'm gonna look up just to make sure that he's not bullshitting me. And so, yeah. you know, I know that a lot of people were worried that oh, tension was in the audience, Reina was in the audience. Here's the thing: none of these people. Listen, Andy Sauer is an exception because Andy Sauer. Here's here's the thing: you, I, I will tell you about Japanese people that Japanese people will very rarely ever leave companies that they first sign with. They will they will work for other companies. But they will never. But they will very rarely ever leave their home base because they basically believe in a little thing called loyalty, which is something that Shangwele, Magnum Shangwele, Andy Sauer didn't really understand much of. You know, there's wrestlers that have been wrestling for New Japan for over thirty years. There's there's for BJW, Dragon Gate. They haven't left because that's just what this is instilled in them. People don't have to worry about tension or Reina going to one at all at this point, and I don't think and Ryzen has nothing to worry about one. Here, you know, Ryzen's ratings were were one hundred times higher for the New Year's Eve show than what ones got. Uh, for and this that's show. as far as combat sports go, because 
their main competition was obviously concerts and nighttime soap operas. Exactly. Um, and Verizon uh, had a lot more competition because it was on New Year's Eve, so they're competing against a lot. They were competing against non-combat stuff to get to get eyes. Um, so yeah, that just we I want you know. You know, what was it that you also want to talk about something else regarding this, Christian? Um, before we go into Quintet, was there anything else you want to talk about with uh, one? Oh, yes, yes. As far as, you know, as far as Turner Broadcasting goes, as far as the folks at Turner Network Television and Turner Broadcasting Services, which are the actual full names of TNT and TBS, the former have been around since 1988 the latter has been around as a network since 1976 but still when it comes down to their future it's right around the corner because they got upfront meetings in new york city in may i think it's may 14th or 15th one of the two but they are going to be announcing that all elite wrestling will be joining the Turner family as far as a TV deal goes. And I'm for one happy to see other professional wrestling promotions get that chance in the spotlight because of the fact that, you know, they need to realize that the WWE ain't the only game in town, brother. <laughs> but still, I hate the fact that a lot of people are basically saying, oh, we want to see this on Thursday night. We think that it'll succeed on Tuesday or Thursday night, but they need to realize that the NBA, the National Basketball Association, you know, the stuff that they basically had on their airwaves since 1984, as far as the entire league has concerned, I mean, has been concerned, even though I know that TBS aired Atlanta Hawks games prior to that. But still, they need to realize that the NBA ain't gonna you know, waste time trying to move schedules just to benefit to AEW, just to bend at their will, so to speak. Exactly. The NBA, and here's the, and somebody who's not a basketball fan, uh, the NBA is worth a lot more money than one, than one FC. It's TBS, TNT. And it's going to be, and it's worth a lot more money than all elite wrestling. No disrespect. Exactly. So, for all those, you know, one FC may, you know, and he, and here's the thing as well, and you can also credit the UFC. UFC knew their value. They knew their. That's why they took that Fox deal, uh, and then they took the ESPN deal. So they know exactly mm-hmm. where they are in the in the in the sports spectrum. It sounded well, like. You think about it. They had to start off somewhere because, I mean, if you imagine how they got their start, how their popularity grew to the point where they got a reality TV deal with Fight TV. That led to them having full events on that network. Yeah, exactly. And you know, I you know, one it sounded like one just sounded like TNT just had some had some some programming block that they just didn't have anything for. I don't know. I don't know what's on TNT anymore. Or uh, and they were like, one FC just happened. Well, all you need to know is that other than the NBA, other than golf, I don't know why. All they show is Law and Order reruns. Okay. From what I so they probably, you know, it's not like they they offered something to One FC and One FC just said yes to the very first block that they gave. Because listen, here's the thing: 
at least the Ryzen show aired at when did that Ryzen that first Ryzen show air uh, on Spike TV when they did? Do you remember what time it did? It aired as part of a two day marathon that was called Breakfast with Fedor. Ah yes yes so that was and that was in the afternoon which on a week on a Friday or a Saturday. Actually, that was on a Saturday. No, that was on a that was on a Sunday if I'm not okay. mistaken. Okay. Okay. So, you know, listen, nobody's, well, a lot of people don't work on Sundays, so they probably, they, you know, they probably thought that'd be a good time. The, here's the thing. If you want people to watch your program, your, your sports program, you don't have it on Monday night at 11.45 p.m. when the next day people are working, and, you know, yeah. It, sound, it, was, it, just, it sounds like exactly like just they, were, they got, that was the first offer they got, and they said yes. This is what it sounds exactly like with 1SC. But, yeah, but then again, when it comes down to having a combat sports show, you don't want to have it at 11.45. You want to have it at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, when everybody's watching. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, that's what I have to say about 1FC. I think people are, I think people need to calm down with the hype. I think that people need to realize that this is, you know, it's not here, you know, it's not going to steamroll rising. It's not, it's, you know, they all have 49, 600 million viewers, or whatever the fuck it is. You know, it's a growing company right now. I know it's been around for a while, and now it's starting to get, like, a lot more notoriety. But it's certainly not where it used to be. It's, it's certainly not where it can be. And I think that, 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 that Ryzen fans need to not be as worried about one uh, that uh, need to be wor- worried about one uh, as much as I think that they are. Even if, uh, even even uh, this way, even this way, even Vitaly Shematov, who is not booked for Ryzen fifteen, we're gonna get into that after we just talk about Quintet. He even said he will never go to one because he says that real combat sports is in Japan and that he will only fight at Ryzen. So you even got fighters that will even not even go to one. That are not Japanese. True, true. Very true. Which basically shows you how much of a target that a lot of... No, wait, it doesn't say... I mean, shit, what am I saying? It basically shows that a lot of people feel that the interest is there in Japan. So, I won't be surprised if Vitaly Shumtov ends up finally getting that call to fight on a rising card down the line, but I hope they realize his worth. Exactly. And as, and as far as what I have to say about all elite wrestling, I mean, these people haven't even put on a damn show yet. They need to give it time, and I think when it comes down to, you know, them potentially signing this deal with Turner Broadcasting and Warner Media, they need to realize that. Turner has a multi-million dollar contract with the NBA. They're not going to basically give up a time slot that's already filled with NBA games or give up any part of their playoff package, which is 40 games and 40 nights, winner go home, yada, 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 just to give them a time slot. Because when it comes down to those time slots, that shit don't come cheap, and. I think that when it comes down to, you know, 
from having, I mean, when it comes down to Turner Broadcasting having AEW or even one FC, they're going to realize that whatever, I mean, Turner is going to realize that whatever the NBA wants, they're going to get. And their will is going to come way before one FC or AEW's wants, pretty much. So, yeah, all I have to say is, when it comes down to the one FC, the one FC fan base and the AEW fan bases, to basically have patience, let it grow, and realize that they're not gonna change the damn time slot just because they say so. I I think took the words right out of my mouth. I don't think I need to say any more. Uh, with that, do you want to? Do you want to go on to Quintet uh, for a little bit, Christian? Uh, yes, you can go ahead on to Quintet. I mean, I didn't watch much of the show. I do. I mean, I will be able to watch it down the line, but you can go ahead and talk about it. I'll just feel like an idiot. Ah, well, uh, basically, uh, so I watched the uh, Quintet show from this uh, from this past weekend. Oh, actually, I think it was from two weeks ago. Or a week ago? No, it was, it was the Sunday of WrestleMania, so it was this past week that it was on. Sunday, April 7th. Yeah. And um, uh, for those that don't know, Quintet is, is four teams made up of five uh, participants. Uh, it's a grappling Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu tournament. And um, this was Quintet Fight Night, free, uh, Fight Night 3, and it was uh, the first time that they've had an all-women's tournament. Uh, it was at the Arena Tachikawa Ta- Tachichi? Uh, is that what's pronounced? Uh, Tachihi. Tachihi. Yeah. Well, at least that's how we try to pronounce yeah. it. Stuart Fulton said it a lot differently. By the way, Stuart Fulton, one of... Here's the thing. If they were using Joe Ferraro or Frank Trigg for Ryzen, I would say hire Stuart Fulton immediately. This guy is so good and so on the point with his commentary. I love him. He is fan-fucking-tastic. <laughs> Damn right. Uh, also, Mei Yamaguchi was uh, was was there as a translator and also to provide uh, color. Um, she sounded like she was bored, though. She's she she can really, she can speak uh, fluent English, but she sounded like really really bored beyond commentary. That's just me, though. Well, when it comes down to these jujitsu fights, I mean, when it comes down to these jujitsu meets, I mean, you have to be. A little mild-mannered. You have to not... I mean, I'm not trying to say pretend like it's a damn golf tournament. But you have to at least show some... I mean, you have to at least show some respect to what you're seeing instead of, you know, have a loud attitude like you're at an MMA event in the North... I mean, in North America. Okay, yeah, no, that's true, that's true. Um... But like Stuart Fulton, like when someone would get a heel hook or get a submission, he'd be like, oh, he's got the heel hook in, he's got the heel hook in. Uh, is he going to escape? Is he, you know, he would, he would, you know, bring some energy and some excitement to it. Um, but it's also, uh, so Quintet, they, it's elimination based. So two teams face off against each other. Um, and, uh, and, and then after whichever teams win those, um, th- th- those matches go on the face of finals. Uh, and, uh, you win by getting a submission or by, uh, or by getting less warnings Here's my problem with uh, my big problem quintet. I think there are two strict of warnings giving out the yellow cards. Um, Shindos, as they call them. Um, mm-hmm. what, they, what they consider no activity, 
There are times where it's like, okay, there's really the person can't do any can't do anything active because they're caught in a submission. But like, if they move a certain way, that submission could be locked in from that position. So what do you expect them to do? They can't roll the other way because they physically can't. But if they roll to the other side. That submission can be placed in. I don't know. I just think I think they're a little bit too strict with the uh, Shindos. That's just me. Um, but there was four teams. Uh, BJJ Kunoichi team, which is basically means Ninja Woman, had uh, Rikaku Yuasa, I- Iori Ichigo, Nanami Ichikawa, Yugi Sugi Su- uh, Sugi Uchi, Akiko Sawada. Uh, they faced off against the uh, Sun Sholera team. Which was uh, Miyu Yamamoto, Sarah McMahon, Mika Naganu, Megumi Sugimoto, Miyu Ikimoto. I gotta say something about um, about Sarah McMahon. I have no Sarah McMahon. I don't know why they didn't have her be the first the first starter of the team, because as soon as she went up, she tapped out two people, one person within like fifteen seconds. I knew that Sarah McMahon. And here's the thing: Sarah McMahon was the biggest person on her team. Um, I think you like she she compared to the other team members, she looked like a giant. She looked enormous. Well, even though a lot of people do watch the UFC when it comes down to, you know, potentially seeing Sarah McMahon, not that many people in Japan know about her. Yeah, which is why like, you know, she stood out so much from everybody else. Um on the Deep Jewels team, you had King Reina, Tomo Meosawa, Emi Tomimatsu, Yukari Nabe, and Hikaru Ono. Ono. And they all came out with, you know how King Reina comes out with the stuffed animal, of the bear. They all came out with their own stuffed animals. Someone had a Pokemon, and someone had a monkey, I think, or an alien, I don't know. <laughs> and uh, they took on 10th Planet uh, team, which was Lila, Smaja Cruz, Fabiana Jorge, uh, Liz Carmouche, who I didn't know was on, uh, who was a 10th Planet person. Apparently she is. I never knew that. Um, Grace, Grace Gu- Gundrum, yeah, and, uh, who pretty much was the youngest person in Quintet. Actually, she, there was somebody, there was somebody younger. Um, I think it was me. Right? Yes, she was 14 years old. 14 fucking years old, and she's in a, she's in a high-level grappling tournament. Uh, Grace Gundrum, as you said. And then El, El, Elvira Karpinen, who's from Finland, I believe. Elvira Karpinen. Yeah, she's from Finland. Uh, to me, uh, she was a star of the show, uh, of the entire tournament. Like, absolutely amazing grappler. Absolutely, she was fantastic. Um, uh, and, like, I love the way that they structure this. Like, you never know who's going to be, who, who's going up against who first. So, like, okay, so, like, okay, so here's the thing, so, like, so, Sarah McMahon, so, so, when, uh, Miyu, when McMahon's team was up, they were, shoot, they, uh, they were against, they were just losing to this, uh, to Yuki Sugi, uh, Sugi Uchi, who was just tapping out. Basically, they were just taking submissions. Exactly. Like, I'm not even gonna bother to say it. Then, uh, Sarah McMahon comes, Sarah McMahon... Looks like a she looks like a Mega Man boss compared to her opponent. She taps her out of a guillotine choke in 24 seconds, then taps out the next person, Akiko Sawada, in a minute, uh, almost a minute 30, 
Then Yuasa Rikaku comes Rikako comes in and then taps out Sarah McMahon. She wow. McMahon outweighs her about by about maybe twenty pounds. Maybe twenty five. I I just love I love how the tournament like you just like the matchups that it makes. It's totally like you never know who's gonna face off against who. Yeah, Liz Carmouche and King Reina going to a draw, but like you forgot you like you think oh Liz Carmouche is gonna steamroll through uh, Reina because she's shorter, but then you forget oh Reina weighs a lot for somebody her size, so they're gonna probably just. You know, it could be Reyna who like who like out. No, it it was. I just love, I just love how like how this how they structured the tournament, and it just makes for so many compelling grappling matches. There was also two um two uh super fights. They had uh, Shutaro Debana, who is probably my favorite Japanese grappler right now, the tapping out a uh, Rob uh, Robson Tano from Brazil uh, by armbar. And Debana, um, I think he's also an MMA fighter as well. Um, yeah, he, uh, he's, uh, he's fought for Shuto before. Um, and, uh, the other, uh, uh match was, uh, Tomoshigi Sera, uh, tapping out Shuto Watanabe, uh, by ankle lock. Um, now, uh, who's, uh, who's, uh, Shuto Watanabe the son of again, Christian? Do you happen to remember? Talking about Shuto Watanabe. Yeah, he's the son of a famous uh, MMA fighter. Um, I'm forgetting who. We, uh, but uh, he named his son after Shuto because that was a fighting promotion that he fought for. Um, I'm having a brain fart right now, but I I, I should have wrote it down. But uh, yeah. Um, oh my God, I don't even know. I mean, I'm not trying to play dumb and basically say I don't know what you're talking about. Because it's kind of slipped to my... Okay, Yuichi... Yu, it's, Yuichi Watanabe is his father. Yuichi Watanabe. Oh! Oh, okay, okay. Um... So, yeah. So, they yeah. So, they had two super fights. They were, they were with males, uh, by the way. Um... But, yeah. I love the structure of the tournament. It makes... It, you know, you may not see Liz Carmouche and King Reina in an MMA match ever. But seeing them in a grappling match is like... It makes you think, like, how is how will this match go? And then you see people like Elvira Karpinen, and you're just like, oh my god, this woman is just steamrolling through everybody. And it's just like, I just love it. It's like, I know that grappling can be, like, very hit or miss with a lot of people. But I think the way they structure the tournament, the way that the matches are set up, the super fights, you know, the fact that also, you know, that the matches, you know, so also, the matches go eight minutes, if the if the competitors are within, um, I think seven kilograms of each other. If 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 there's a set, if the if it's more than seven kilograms, it goes four minutes. And so, you know, the matches aren't too long. Uh, it's not like e, uh, EBI rules where there has to be a submission or something like that. It's not like submission on the ground or there's no points or whatever. It has to be there has to be a submission win or else if there's a draw or no warnings or whatever the judges decide so you know there's you know there's at least I like that I like that I like that aspect to, to it um I like I it I think a lot of people like that aspect about quintet because of the fact that 
It requires, requires more action, and just, you know, it's a, you know, uh, also, it's on the UFC Fight Pass, for anybody that doesn't know, so there's English commentary, English graphics, uh, and, you know, it, also, I think that the, that the language, and just the way that grappling is, I think a lot of people turn off because they're like, I don't know about this, this, this submission stuff, I'm gonna be confused, but Stuart Fulton, May Yamaguchi, they were able to make you, they were, they were able to make you just, you know, at ease, and he did the same thing with Rise, you know, people, it was my first time watching a Rise show, he, he was, it was, it was basically like having somebody next to you there, and basically telling you, okay, this is what's happening right now, this is what's happening right now, and me going, oh, okay, I see what there's, what's going on, I see what's going on, okay, okay, oh, so, and, and, you know, basically he's, he's thinking 10 steps ahead of me, of, like, my questions, and, like, what I'm wondering about, and he's explaining it already. I absolutely love this show. It's one of my favorite shows of the year. I cannot wait for the next Quintet show. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know when it's going to be, but uh, I will I will certainly be watching the next Quintet show. And uh, I hope that everybody can also watch it as well. Absolutely fantastic promotion for grappling. Go watch it, especially Fight Night 3. Hey, I bet a lot of people... I mean, a lot of people will be excited to watch that because... I mean, didn't you basically say in that interview with Lenny Harder prior to that that, you know, if you want to watch Quintet, watch Quintet Fight Night 1 and then Fight Night 2 because if you skip all the way to 3, you're missing out. Oh, I think she said that. Um, I think she's uh, she said that in the interview. Um, but, you know, I, I, you know, I, I think I understand why because, you, know, you know, Quintet's still like a short – you can still kind of watch all the shows because it hasn't been around for a long time. You know, don't try watching UFC UFC from from UFC one until now. You'll be here forever. Um, so like, um, I think it was I think it was great to you know just have. Yeah, I I think it was it was it, you. I think you could get to any quintet show. You know that has English commentary and all that stuff, which they all do because they're all on the UFC Fight Pass. And you know you'll see some familiar faces as well. You'll see a Josh Barnett or a Sakuraba or, or a Gary Tonin. Liz Carmouche, King Reyna, you know, and also, it's just funny to just see who they, who gets teamed up with who, you know, Mika Nagano, who had that fight with uh, Miyu Yamamoto at Ryzen 14, you know, they're teaming up, that's great, that's, that's, that's fucking great, I think that's fucking great, um, and all, it's just, it's, it's just really, it's just really a, uh, it's really a fantastic, uh, a great, a great way to uh, to uh, to start off a tournament. 